What did it take to implement ISA S88 standards for electronic records 20 years ago in one of the world's largest biotech facilities? What do today's batch control projects in the biotech space look like with 21 CFR Part 11 compliance, the open source community, and millions of dollars on the line? In this episode, we are discussing everything from strategies to reduce contamination and batch loss to sharing innovative projects of the future in personalized medicine. This is Inductive Conversations with Lauren Walters and our guest today, Abhijit Jog, founder and CEO of the integration company Panacea Technologies. So hello and welcome to Inductive Conversations. I'm Lauren, subbing in today for Dawn. We're here at ICC 2019, and we're sitting down with Abhijit Jog from Panacea Technologies. Abhijit, thank you so much for joining us today. How have you been enjoying the conference so far? The conference has been great so far. I've learned a lot, and it's nice to see the enthusiasm people have for inductive automation. And that is something I think has been missing from other conferences I've attended for other vendors. Well, that's so nice to hear. Yeah, we we get a lot of excited and enthusiastic people here at the conference. So it's always kind of fun to see all of the um, different industries collaborating and all that kind of stuff. So we're really glad that you were able to be here as well. Can you talk a little bit about Panacea, your role within the company, all that kind of stuff? Sure. I'm the founder and CEO of Panacea Technologies. Panacea Technologies started as a system integrator in 1996. And right at the beginning, we have been doing uh, biotech and chemical plants, and we specialize in batch controls. So what we specialize in is doing extremely large and extremely complex batch projects. So it's not unusual for our projects to have 10,000 IO, for example. And most of these projects are used to make super high-value drugs, So the drugs that we make might sell for billions of dollars. Wow. Now, you're in a unique position because your company does work in that biotech and pharma space, but you also have this automation focus. How did you kind of bridge that divide and what was that process like for you? Originally, I used to work for a company called Life Sciences in the early 90s. And Life Sciences was designing some of the first biotech plants in the world. And I worked in their automation group. And and basically, early on, we figured out that the biotech industry needed a lot more automation just because the value of the product that was being made was so expensive that you couldn't afford to have any operator mistakes or anything of that sort. And as a result, what was not apparent in the first couple of planned designs became pretty obvious in the next uh, few planned designs where... People wanted more automated systems. They didn't want operator intervention. And that industry has just grown and exploded since the early 90s. Wow. And how did that kind of shift the tone of the whole industry? How has that changed biopharmacy? What has changed is earlier people used to come to us very early on and say, hey, design this plan for me, but I want my operators to have control. And lately what we've been seeing is people coming to us and saying, hey, make it as automated as possible because with automation we can reduce batch loss. I mean, you can imagine for a biotech manufacturer, losing a batch might mean losing $10 million or something. And it happens. I mean, there's operator errors that are made. And the other issue is the criticality of the product. If you can think of a biotech drug that's made, it's typically made using something called mammalian cells. 
and mammalian cells grow at a linear rate compared to bacterial cells that grow at an exponential rate. So all the cells are grown in a sterilized environment. They're transferred through sterilized piping to bigger fermenters and so on and so forth. Now, if there's even the slightest possibility of any contamination whatsoever, then you could lose the whole batch because the bacterial cell would, would just overwhelm the mammalian cells. So as a result, keeping track of all that in an automated system is very critical. And that avoids operator errors and avoids batch loss. Wow. And how has that um, kind of been received in the biotech space? It sounds like now people are much more likely to kind of jump in and be excited about it. Has that always been? No. Uh, originally, we designed a plant for a biotech company in the Bay Area in the mid-90s, and we did the automated, automated system for that. The plant was criticized as being overly automated at that point. Fast forward 10 years later, the manufacturer, large biotech manufacturer, has found out that this plant is two times more efficient than the next plant in their system, and there is minimal product loss. So I think the people who are criticizing the over-automated facility soon came around to looking at the dollars and saying, hey, wait a minute, this makes sense to spend the money up front rather than later. Absolutely. You can't really argue with those numbers, can you? No. <laughs> Now, within the biotech space, it sounds like you guys focus on batch. Yes, we, we focus on batch automation. And the reason for that is, uh, if you can think of a typical biotech plant, they sort of know what is going to be involved in making that particular, uh, growing those particular cells. But people really don't know. And a plant itself might cost upward of $250, $300 million dollars. By the time the plant gets to production, that product which they were designing the plant for might not be competitive anymore. And as a result, what they want is the plant to manufacture multiple products throughout its life cycle. And the only way to do that is to have batch automation where you can make a product and then switch over to a different product. And as a result of that, they invest a lot of money in batch manufacturing. I see. And so you guys mainly focus on that. That's what... Yeah, we focus on designing the plan to appropriate standards because inevitably you run into situations where they're trying to make a product that couldn't be made with the existing standards. So we try to make our standards flexible enough so that a newer product can be made in the plant while at the same time being able to manufacture products that were used to be made in the plant before that. And now I know that you are responsible for one of the largest biotech facilities in the world that's ever been created. Can you talk a little bit about that project? Yeah, the project was originally executed in the mid-90s. And the tricky part there was there were no ISA standards. The S88 standards were under development. There was no standards for electronic batch records. But we wanted our plant to have all of that stuff. So we were sort of designing the plant with those standards in mind and trying to look ahead and, and figure out what those standards would be. And I'm happy to say that we achieved almost all our goals designing that plant. Whatever we did during the design of that phase essentially made it into the S88 standards and also into 21 CFR 11, which is the government standards for batch records. Absolutely. And some of the early challenges that you faced in that project, just kind of anticipating the future, how did you even kind of go about that? Well, we had some people who were actually on the S88 committee, 
And again, the standards are nothing but good practice. So if you can come up with the best engineering practices to put in place, standards are just an amalgamation of those practices. Well, that's a nice way to think about it. And I know that you are part of the group that's helping with 21 CFR Part 11. Yeah, originally we uh, helped give the comments back to the government on 21 CFR 11. And essentially the government entity which was charged with developing it wasn't familiar with electronic technology. So basically they issued a set of standards and then they uh, withdrew all those standards and all the guidance three or four years later and then came out with guidance that actually works with computers instead of, you know, just being there on paper. That sounds like it was a little bit necessary. So can you explain part 11 for people who maybe are unfamiliar with this? Yeah, part 11 basically is a way to design reports so they can be submitted electronically to the government or can you can have electronic records and what that means is when they used to make uh, production batches for pharmaceutical plants before operators would record information such as okay i record i saw the temperature at this point or, or i added this product or this raw material to the batch now what we do is we capture all those actions electronically and all the reports are then available to QA for batch release. So QA can essentially take a look at those electronic records and then prove them to release the batch. Or if the FDA comes in a year or 10 years later, they can look at the electronic records and they know exactly what happened during that batch. So it's a way to minimize paper and also improve the speed by which these lots can be released. And how has the industry kind of responded as far as you've known to this, this shift? The industry is still catching up with it because you sort of have to work for a most efficient 21 CFR 11 system. You have to work backwards. You have to say, okay, what are the things that are important to my product release? And then what are the information that I need in that lot? And a common example is alarms. For example, so if any alarm happens during the development of a, well, you're running a batch, you basically need to report it. So now as to what needs to be an alarm has to be basically looked over with a fine tooth comb because in the early days of automation, people wanted everything alarmed. So now every alarm, you need to verify that it doesn't have an impact on the batch quality. So just a little pruning of alarms at the beginning saves you a lot of time on the tail end of not having to address every alarm. That sounds like a great tip for those working with it. If, are there any other tips you recommend to people who are working on their Part 11 compliance? I think it's important to get all the groups together to figure out what actually needs to be in the report. And a, a common example of this is when something, you know, when, when you do a sterilization or a cleaning cycle on a piece of equipment, Sometimes QA comes along and says, hey, I want to see the trend that happened during the sterilization to make sure the temperature didn't fall below 121 degrees or something. And our common response to them is like, okay, why do you want to see that? We have a PLC there, which is looking at everything every 30 milliseconds. So there's not, no way you can actually look at that at a trend and figure that out. And we have software programmed that so if it falls below 30 milliseconds, it'll flag you with that, right? So, but 
somebody has to sit with QA and give them the explanation and explain to them that what they're looking for has already been achieved. And once you do that, then your batch reports become smaller and batch releases become much faster. But it has to be done up front. Interesting. Now, um, what projects are Panacea currently working on? Is there anything interesting you guys are developing right now that you... Yeah, we have a product out there, which is, uh, we call it the Open Bio. And essentially what that is, is it's a, a fermenter system, control system that we have developed. And we have developed it using uh, open source materials, basically. So what, what that means is if you go buy a biotech controller from a different vendor, what they do is white label the parts. And when you white label the parts, if something goes wrong or some part breaks down, the end user has no way of getting that part other than through a through the vendor itself. So in our case, we basically tell everybody what the parts are and they can go look at it. The other technology we have put in there is all our biotech controllers have a QR code on it. So you can walk into the plant with a iPad, you can scan the QR code and it'll bring up the controls of the, the biotech fermenter. So, so there's a lot of innovation that we are putting into this industry. Oh, that's really exciting. That's interesting. Is there, what is the relationship like between kind of the open source community? We have a really positive relationship in the automation community, especially with Ignition. What's that like in biotech? It is still developing. And again, it is because it has been very vendor centric. But what we are trying to move the community towards is like, you know, is to share more essentially because the end user companies are in the business of making medicines. They're not in the business of competing on the, their automation platforms. Oh, that's very interesting. Now, um, I'm curious where you see your company headed next. What are your big goals for the future? Yeah, we are actually looking to develop products for the personalized medicine space. And I'm sure you guys have heard of this where you take T-cells from a person who has cancer or whatever and basically grow the T-cells that fight the cancer and then inject it back into the person, right? So that is personalized medicine. You're developing medicine that works only for one person. So what we are trying to do is develop products for it. And we think that these products will go into hospitals rather than into the manufacturing plants and hospitals basically don't have the depth of talent to run these systems so what we are hoping to do is we are we are connecting these systems to the cloud so we can monitor them from our remote location and essentially the hospital staff can run it the same way they would run a washing machine for example wow how is the medical industry kind of thinking about this it's still it's it's still in the early stages yeah. so things are things are still still developing but i mean personalized medicine is coming because the rates of cure for certain types of cancer are just off the charts so and, and it's basically training your immune system to go fight cancer cells so so it is coming you're automating your own body system, right? <laughs> Pretty much automating the cure to your own body system. I so. like it. That's very compelling. And as a whole, where do you see the biotech tech space headed toward this personal medicine? Other thoughts? Yeah, the biotech industry itself, uh, just based on the biotech drugs, is growing quite significantly. And what is going on is there are biosimilars now. 
and biosimilars are similar to generic medicine that you take for small molecule drugs. And as a result of this, the volume, the number of biotech drugs is simply increasing exponentially every year. And the market is also increasing for these because as these drugs become cheaper, people from less developed countries can now start to afford these drugs. Earlier, these drugs cost too much to manufacture. And as a result, they were, it was not possible to use them in less developed countries. But now, with the volumes that we are starting to see, things are starting to change. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm curious where Ignition fits in in all of this. How do you guys leverage Ignition? Well, currently we leverage Ignition by using uh, its abilities as a SCADA platform to scale up manufacturing pretty fast. We are hoping that we can deploy Ignition at some point in the future in the cloud and monitor all our machines through Ignition, which exists in the cloud. So we are working on development for these things. We use reflectance to where you can go and scan a barcode and you can have the fermenter pop up on its screen. So there's a lot of places where we see Ignition being used. Also for the reporting aspects of things, uh, we use Ignition for generating smarter reports for lot release and things of that sort. So. That's exciting to hear. Well, um, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. I'm curious if you have any final thoughts or um, things you'd like to share with our audience. I think it was personally very strange for me to come here and see so much enthusiasm during this conference. People are excited about Ignition, and I think it's, it's great to see because the development of SCADA systems has been held back by industry for too long. It shouldn't be a big secret. It shouldn't be this expensive. And I hope to see the same values go down into the actual controllers themselves because the controllers are overpriced. And now we are starting to see controllers from ignition partners such as Opto22, which are more realistically priced. Well, Abhijit, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really grateful that you took the time to talk to us. I hope you have a great rest of your ICC. You're welcome. Thank you. Hey, listeners, this is a quick reminder to subscribe to our podcast if you're enjoying the conversations. Also, if you have a topic or a question you'd like us to cover, or if you're interested in being a guest on a future episode, then please send your inquiries to podcast at inductiveautomation.com.